Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. That you can be seated this evening, this morning. Hallelujah. Amen. We want to release all the teenagers. If you are junior high, high school, uh, you could see Alex is waving his hand back there and, and you could go and be a part of that group. Amen. We want to take a moment and we want to welcome everybody. We are glad that you are here with us today. Praise God. If you are joining us in person or if you are joining us online, we are very glad for you. Amen. So remember, if this is your first time here, uh, you can uh, uh, see somebody out in the foyer. We've got a cup for you, just a quick uh, um, um, gift, and then we'd like to get some information to you. If you're watching online, you could go to our website and you can fill out a form there, and we'll get in contact with you and, and do all of that. We also want to say, welcome back, Larry. Larry Imus is with us. Amen. Hallelujah. If you don't believe in miracles, just look in the front row, sitting right here. He is, uh, he, he is a wheeling, rolling miracle right now, but he's also, he can walk, amen. He's a... He's just being lazy, that's all right now. <laughs> Larry and I go way back into the old days, but uh, uh, we're so glad that he's here, and God did a wonderful miracle for him and, and uh, um, touched his body and ministered to him. And uh, you know what, sometimes when you're in those moments and you think, dear God, what's going to happen, you find out that God really is in control. And you know what, Larry, this ain't the first time God saved your life. He has saved your life many times, and, uh, and it's a powerful thing. Can you say amen? Uh, well, before we get started this morning, a couple things that I want to uh, uh, let you know about. Uh, first of all, uh, uh, well, actually, just one thing. Um, uh, we, this Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, we're going to be starting a new series on divine healing. Uh, now, divine healing has been, over the years, a controversial subject. It's a subject that uh, there's a lot of varying opinions and, and some that are quite uh, strong. And so what we don't want to do is we don't want to live our life, number one, by opinion, nor do we want to live our life by experience, our own personal experience. We want to live our life by what the Word of God says. Can you say amen? And so somewhere along the line, the Word of God must define our lives. And so for the next four weeks, starting next Wednesday at 6.30, we are going to take some time and to look at the subject of divine healing as uh, described and outlined in the Word of God. Amen. And so we'd love to invite you and, uh, that you'd come and be a part of that. Now, let me just say this, put a disclaimer out. Uh, there is no way that we will in uh, four weeks be able to really get into the depths of all that there is in divine healing, uh, but we will be able to answer some very important questions and be able to give you a good uh, a foundation to where you could carry on that study yourself. And so also for those that are watching online, uh, we are uh, going to be broadcasting that online, and so you can pick, us, pick that up there and uh, uh, same time, same channel as always. So uh, we'll do that, and we're looking forward to that. Amen? If you have your Bibles, you could turn with me over to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 7. 
Uh, we had a great time in uh, 8.30 service, and I expect God is going to meet us this morning. How many came expecting God to meet with you? Amen. Let me say this to you. We should always come expecting God to speak into our lives. So the other day, I was listening to a sermon, and the speaker said something that grabbed my attention. And so I want to share this with you. And, and listen, let me put out another little disclaimer. I, I'm, I don't want to beat up on you today, but I'm going to say some tough stuff. Is that okay? And you say, why, why would you do that? Because I love you. And you're going to, I know, it's, it's, you know, every father says, you know, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. You know, that, that really is just bull. That's, that's what fathers say to make themselves feel better in that moment. But uh, the truth is, um, this is something, the Lord laid this on my heart uh, a few weeks back, and I've been pondering this for a few weeks and just spending some time letting it kind of absorb into me. And so I really hope this will uh, find a place in you because I believe this morning this has the potential to change everything. Uh, and, and let me just put out once again, the Word of God has the potential to change everything in your life. Can you say amen? Anywhere you go in the Word of God, it will change you. The Word of God is powerful, and the Word of God has force. It's alive. The Bible says that it penetrates all the way to the bone, and it divides thought and opinion, and there's all kinds of things that it does, and if you'll allow the Word of God to work in your life, it will change you. But anyway, I was listening to this sermon the other day, and this man said something that really grabbed me, and he said this, sometimes we pass by Scripture just like we pass an accident on the, on the freeway, on the highway. He says, we see the accident, we're concerned, we feel bad, we pray for those involved, and then we go home unlikely to think about it again. Now, that's not bad. It's not, we're not evil people. We're not bad people. The thing that's happening there is it's just not personal. It didn't involve us. It didn't involve anyone in our family. So in the long run, we remain unaffected by it. And that is so true because as a Christian, and I am one, and I have been around a long time, and I've read the Bible a couple times, and you know what? The reality is I've passed by Scripture, and I've looked at it and went, whoa, look at that. That's powerful. And, you know, thought about it for a moment and was impressed with its dynamic, but then I walked away as if nothing happened. Why? Because it's not personal. It's kind of like going to a movie. I've, I've said this before. It's kind of like going to a Star Wars movie, or if you're in my realm, Star Trek. Okay, I, I, Star Wars is okay, but Star Trek is my thing. And it's, I'm always impressed. I love the, the special effects. I love all of that. And, and you look at that and you go, wow, that's so cool, and the special effects and all of that. And in the moment, you're moved. But then you go home, you get in your car, and you go away, and you go, oh, yeah, that was great. It was a great movie. But it didn't change you. It didn't affect you. Why? Because it's not personal. It's not you. And sometimes as Christians, we read Scripture that way. And that ought not to be. And you say, why is that? Because Scripture is personal. <coughs> All of it is about you. We could change the, 
the name of the Bible from Holy Bible to insert your name. Because it is God's word to you. It is for you. He wrote it for you. Can you say amen? And if there's anything that I can see that is truly disturbing in the day and age in which we live, it's the fact that so many professing Christians know so little about the Word of God. Church, the Bible must impact our lives. It must feed us, instruct us, correct us, challenge us, but most of all, it should change us. I was listening to another man preach, and he said something extremely alarming. Now, I want you to listen to this. He says, I feel, he's speaking to his own church, he says, I feel like a university professor of literature who wants to teach you the writings of the great authors in history. But half of the class can't read or write, so I'm forced to go back to kindergarten and teach the basics over and over again. Wow, is right. That grabs me. Why does that grab me? Because look, church, this is for real. It is serious. The Word of God is not just a book we and churches pass out so that you have a little bit of literature about what's going on here. The Word of God is life itself. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14 it said, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld Him as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So what are you saying? The Word of God, the written Word of God, became the living Word of God in Christ. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Or I actually, I kind of got that backwards. The living Word of God, Jesus, the Son of God, and the, became the written Word. The written Word became later. It came on the scene later. And that Word is God's message to you and I. It's not just His message. It is who He is. You want to know God, know His Word. You want to live in victory, know His Word. You want to live with hope, know His Word. You want to live with purpose, know His Word. You want to have power in life, know His Word. Can you say amen? Listen, church, I am so hungry for the church to walk in revival. I don't know about you, but I... Look, look, when I say these things, I tend to get myself in trouble. So I'm going to say it again so you could send your emails and cards and letters and all of that, and that's wonderful. But I am tired of church. <clears throat> I want Jesus. Amen. I, you know, I, 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 I was counting, I was doing the math the other day. 49 years of salvation. 33 years ordained. I got baptized in the Holy Ghost when I was 12. I was called into the ministry at 16. I pastored my first church at 21. It's quite a resume, but it don't really mean nothing unless God is in the center of it. And so church, I'm, you know, I've darkened the door of many churches. I've seen all kinds of liturgies. 
I've been a part of many different styles of worship, everything from hymns to chaos. Amen. I've been a part of it. I've been in churches that were extremely powerful, and I've been in churches that morgue was more lively. I don't want to go to church no more. I want to have an experience, an encounter with the living God. I want to come into that place where he's speaking to us, where his word comes alive inside of me. I, want, I don't care if lightning flashes across the ceiling or if it's the still small voice. I want him. I don't care if, if the roof comes off the place and flat fire and lava flow. I want him. I don't care if it's the gentle whisper of my Lord and Savior that leads me and guides me through my day. I don't care. I want Jesus. I want revival. Can you say amen? amen. It, it's so much so that it consumes much of my thinking throughout the day. But I also understand that if we're going to have that, if we are going to walk with the Lord, then we must get back to what the Bible says about genuine Christian living. We cannot afford to settle for a cheap counterfeit of the real thing. See, the problem that I see today is so many people have redefined the word. We've taken the words right out of God's mouth and said, this is what I think he meant. No, I think God said what he meant and meant what he said. Can you say amen? So much of the church has settled for an empty, powerless, feel-good version of the gospel. Now look at I'm, I like feeling good. How many like feeling good? Raise your hand. If you don't like feeling good, we'll be having an altar call and you could get delivered. I like to feel good. No doubt about it. But I don't want my present feeling to interrupt or to sideline God in my life. When God shows up on the scene, sometimes my flesh don't feel so good. Come on now. Problem is, when we settle, we end up with a church that has no power to transform our lives into what God has called us to be. And there is so much more to this gospel than just getting by or white-knuckling our way to heaven. We are the children of God. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how long you did it. I don't care who you did it with. If Jesus came into your life, you are a child of God. If Jesus has saved you, it's the Bible says that he has saved you to the uttermost. Your sins are as far as the, sea, as the east is from the west, and they are in the sea of forgetfulness, and you are cleansed and right before him, not because of what you did, but because of what he did. Can you say amen? We're the body of Christ. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus. We are kings and priests before him. And we have been given his power. We have been given his authority. We've been given his word and his name. Yet for many, they are still living with broken hearts. They are still held captive. They are still spiritually blind. They are still spiritually burdened. And they are living as if they do not know Jesus and folks, I'm not talking about the greater, wider world. I am talking about the church of Jesus Christ. 
So what is the answer? So what is the answer? Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, gave one of the greatest and most simple answers that we can have for this problem. I love Jesus. I, I, I love when he speaks. If, if you will listen to Jesus, he is really profound. And very often he's very simple. So simple that we get confused. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27 says this, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Now, as we begin this message, I want to share with you a couple observations that I have made over the years of studying the Word of God. The first observation is this, God never threatens. Let me tell you, God never threatens. You say, how do you know that? Because Threats are a form of manipulation, and God does not manipulate. Threats come from an angry heart, and God does not operate out of anger. Threats are often used to promote fear, and God has nothing to do with fear. None of these things represent how our Father in heaven interacts with us. He's a good father. Can you say amen? He's a good dad. What God does is God promises, and then He fulfills that promise. He will convict, He will instruct, He will warn, and He will help, but He will never threaten. Even in the Old Testament days, God never threatened. He spoke plainly, He spoke clearly. He said, if you hear and obey, you'll be blessed. If you ignore me and disobey, you will bring a curse on your own life. God was not threatening them with a curse. God was simply telling them, I have set before you blessing and cursing, life and death. Choose life that you may live. He was simply showing them how life worked. In other words, it would be like me looking at any one of you and saying, if you get up on the roof and jump off, you will hit the ground. It's not a threat. It's a reality. If you choose to go the ladder route, you'll probably be okay. If you choose to go the 19 feet all the way to the ground, there is a good chance, a high probability, you're not going to like what happens. But you have no place to complain about what happens when you make the choice to jump. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So many times we look at God as if somehow he's putting a curse out or somehow he's doing this or he's punishing me. No, no, he is simply saying, if you do this, this will happen. Just like in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, it says, Do not be deceived. 
God is not mocked, for whatever man sows, that will he also reap. For he sow, if he sows to his flesh, he will of the flesh reap corruption. This word corruption literally means decay. It's the rotting of a body. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. So simply in that verse, he tells us, look it, here's how to get on in life. If you want good things to happen, then sow good things into your life. If you don't want good things to happen, then go live any way you want. When you sow to the flesh, in other words, when you pay attention to how you feel in the moment, you're going to reap corruption. The other day I was in the grocery store. And I was upset because they didn't have what I wanted. How dare they? Did they not know that John Poole was coming? How dare they be out of stock? How is it they can't get their act together? How is it that they don't know how to order correctly? How is it that these people that are being paid so much money and it costs me $45 to buy a Twinkie, how is it they don't have any? God says, yep, you could go with that. That's, a, that's your feeling, and it's valid because you're having it. Or you could grow up. I'm just speaking to me now. Hey, if you, if you find yourself in the same boat as me, don't get mad at the guy rowing the boat. See, you could sow to the flesh, but you will reap corruption. See, here's the thing, and, and I'm kind of jumping ahead, and I'll get to this again, but it's always good to repeat. But we get so mad. Why is this happening to me? Because you sowed it. If you don't like what's coming up in the garden, change what you're planting. The second thing, that I've noticed and observed is God always equips us for victory. God never threatens, He warns, but He always equips us for victory. And I want you to think about this for a moment. See, when we pray for deliverance or we pray for the strength to overcome or the victory over some challenge that is hindering us, God most often answers by equipping us with the power, the authority, and the knowledge to overcome. What we are hoping for is a bailout. We want to be freed not only from the problem, but we also want to be free of the obligation to fight to overcome. It's kind of like a man with a garden. One day he wakes up, he goes out in the backyard, sees his garden, and weeds have taken over. Have you ever had that happen? A while back when we were living in our older house, we were living on the other side of town, and one day, and you, you would think, you know, we always do this thing, it's like it just happened. No, they've been growing for a long time. <laughs> they didn't just appear overnight. It's like, I don't know what happened, all these weeds got on, oh man. I mean, we had weeds in our backyard that were growing trunks. They were not weeds. They were, they were trees. 
I mean, they were, I didn't know there was enough water in the desert to grow the jungle that existed in my backyard. And I went back there and I went, dear God, somebody has got to do something. And here's this gardener. He has his own garden. Weeds have taken over and the man realizes something must be done. So he prays. He prays for deliverance, hoping tomorrow his garden is weed-free. The next day he gets up, and lo and behold, the weeds remain. But he notices a shovel, a hoe, and a rake, and some weed killer, and a still small voice says, go ahead, take care of the weeds. This ain't, this is, this, this, this isn't popular. We don't like this. Wait, I thought God could do anything. I, I thought God could, I thought God was into delivering. He is. He, I thought God would set me free. He, he did. I thought God was going to fix things. He is. Here's the weed, weed eater. Here's the hoe in the rake. Get after it. But God, but you know, it's I get frustrated with that because see, I'm I'm far too logical. Have you ever have you ever taken have you ever looked at diet pills or or the new thing, the new diet fad? This is what always gets me. This is where my logic ends up hitting the wall. So it says, take ten of these pills a day, and you can eat any way you want, and you will lose weight. And then on the back, it says, real small print. For best results, go on a diet and exercise. How about I stop paying you my $55 for your pills and go on the diet and exercise, and I'll, I'll bet I have the same results. See, that's where my logic hits me. But see, that's how we want to treat God. Because we really are looking for the magic pill, aren't we? We're really, I, see, I don't, I, I, what I want is to be free from my flesh, but I don't want to have to kill it. I don't want to be tempted no more, but I don't want to stop looking at what I'm looking at. I, I really want to clean up my mouth, but... I keep putting stuff in my heart that keeps coming up in the bucket. The problem is, as many wonderful Christians end up sinking deeper into the habits and dysfunctions and sins and hurts of life, not because they're evil people, not because they're undeserving or unbelieving. They simply want to be carried out of prison, all the while Jesus is saying, just walk out, I've opened the door. Our text is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Jesus is not threatening. He's both warning and equipping. Jesus told this parable at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. And he made sure that his audience 
understood the meaning of it by explaining it. And after all the teachings in the sermon, it was important for Jesus to make sure that the people understood that simply listening to his words was not enough. In Luke's account of this parable, we're given a little more detail. I want you to listen to these words. Luke says in Luke 6, starting in verse 46, he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When the flood came, the torrent struck the house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Jesus begins in Luke's version by asking the question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, that that phraseology, Lord, Lord, when you see it in Scripture, is a, is a Hebrew way, it's a Jewish way of indicating that came over through Greek, it came over to indicate relationship or intimacy. Why do you say we have an intimate relationship and that I am the Lord of your life, but you don't do what I say? This is the real point of what Jesus is trying to say. Jesus is not threatening here, nor is he condemning what Jesus is doing as a good father He's telling us how to get on in life. What Jesus is doing is he's giving us a lesson. He's saying, look, this is how you do this. If you want what I have, then you have to walk the way I walk. You have to live the way I have outlined. We cannot just say that we are Christians or that we are a part of a church or that we read the Bible and then do not do what the Word of God says. This kind of life, it won't stand up against the problems. It'll collapse every time. The stability of the wise man's house was due to the fact it was built not upon a rock, but it was built upon the rock. So the question is, who or what is the rock that's mentioned in this parable? And the rock is nothing more or nothing less than these words of mine namely the words of Christ. Only life founded upon and guided by the principles of Jesus can it stand and withstand the storm. His teaching, Jesus' teaching is the rock. All else is shifting sand. A foolish builder would build his house without thinking about what kind of foundation there was. So he might have come along and said, man, I just, I just like, the, I like the way the building site looks. This is so beautiful right here. Well, have you considered what lies underneath? Maybe he decided to ignore the warnings of other people who had experienced past floods. One of the things that amazes me in Arizona is how often people build their houses in washes. It, it's a wash. What does that mean? I know it hasn't rained in 35 years, but it's going to again one day. And the water is going to flow the path of least resistance, and the path is right through your house. 
I'm amazed at how many people build houses on stilts, just like putting up a kite in the middle of a hurricane alley. Is that... I know they're thinking, well, the water will go underneath. Don't worry about the water. Now you've got to worry about the wind catching that thing. You know, 180-mile-an-hour wind ain't no joke. Hey, you know, one of the things, if you've ever decked a roof with plywood on a windy day, it's an adventure. He said, how do you know? Well, I was, see, I was never the guy that got to run the power tools. I was always the guy that got to haul the wood. Fifteen bosses, one Indian, one grunt. How many know what I'm talking about? So I'm the guy, give me another sheet of plywood. So I pick it up, and just about the time a gust of wind comes, it's like a kite. And believe it or not, four by, four by eight sheet of plywood is enough surface area to lift up big old me. But yet people do it all the time, don't they? Why? because it's so beautiful here. We only have hurricanes once in a while. House only collapses once in a while. Maybe we just don't feel like it. I need to pick on that a little bit. I'm amazed at how often people go by their feelings. Well, I feel like today, probably about six times in between services, I get done preaching this, I picked on feelings, and I catch myself in my office going, well, I feel. Well, this is what I feel. This is what I feel. You know the problem with feelings? They change. Every morning, just about this happens, and I know I'm picking on my weight, and there's always going to be people that come tell me diet plans. So I get up in the morning, and I feel, you know, I'm stiff from, you know, I, I got this bed that's horrible. It's, it's a rack is what it really is. And so anyway, I get up, and I I feel my weight, and I'm usually in my shorts, and I'm standing in front of the mirror, and that kind of grosses me out, and that takes away the breakfast thing. And, and so I'm standing there, and I'm going, man, somebody's got to do something. I mean, you know, I'm, you know what I'm saying? And somebody's got to do something, and I'm standing there, and I'm going, dear God, you know, holy cow. I don't even get on the scale because it always tells me one at a time, please. And, you know, it, it's just, you know, on and on. And I feel like I just feel bad. I feel bad. Then I get to church, I go into prayer, I spend, I do my time in prayer and I get alone with God and I start feeling better and God tells me you're my son and I love you and you know, I start feeling better and I get into the office, I'm feeling pretty good about the day and just about 11 o'clock somebody calls me up and goes, hey, you wanna go to lunch? Yeah, man, I feel, within the span of two or three hours I go from I'm utter devastated to I'm going out to eat. Why, because my feelings change. I'm amazed at how many people live their life based on their present feeling. Well, I don't know. I don't feel like God's in this. Well, let's go back to the Word and see if He really is in it. 
I feel like God told me. Let's go back to the Word. What's God really saying? Now, please don't misunderstand. I believe God does work through our feelings. But the Bible tells us that we have to test and try the Spirit. Hold on to what is good and get rid of everything else. Sometimes our feelings change. We cannot live our life based on the present feeling. Sometimes I don't feel like serving God. <laughs> is, that, is that way too honest? It's like, what? Well, you're a pastor. Uh, I'm first human, then a Christian, and then a pastor. And sometimes I get tired. But I'm not going by my feelings. I'm going by what I know in God. Proverbs 14, 12 says this, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the way thereof is death. And I'm just amazed how often we think we got it right without ever consulting the Word of God. Are you hearing me? You say, what's the point of all this, Pastor? The point is, so many people are struggling that don't have to. If we would just do the Word. You know, I was thinking about this. I wrote down a couple things because in the first service, I said I didn't do it, and then I changed my mind, I'm going to do it. Like things like this. Love your neighbor. That's a good one. I like that. I'm into loving my neighbor. Okay, let's see how far you go. Love your enemy. Bible says this, forgive those that have hurt you. In fact, he goes so far to say, and he was very clear, if you don't forgive, he won't forgive. But yet we hang on to unforgiveness. Well, they don't deserve it. They may not. But you deserve freedom. Right? Be kind. Some of the meanest people in the world are Christian. <laughs> Come on, this is good. This is good. You're loving it. I know you are. Just be kind. Just be kind. Pay attention to your words. He tells us that. You know why? He says, because what's in the heart comes out through the mouth. So, you know, when, when all of this viciousness or, or, or sarcasm or vile speaking comes out, that's what's in your heart. He says, you'll be justified or condemned by the words of your mouth. The power of life and death are in the tongue. He says, don't, don't let anger control you. In other words, he says this, be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. In other words, deal with it quickly. He says, guard your heart. Guard it. He says, for out of the heart are the issues of life. Why is he guarded? Because we put so many things in that will defile the heart. 
We, will, we, will, we won't put guards on our eyes and we won't, we won't say, hey, wait a second, that's affecting me. And it's not just affecting me, it's affecting my wife, my children, my friends, my church uh, mates, all on and on and on. It's affecting everything. But we just let it go. He says, serve one another. Consider yourself second and put someone else first. Here's a good one. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And wives, respect your husbands. Do you know what it's all about? Selfishness. See, husbands, you're supposed to love your wife. You're supposed to give your life to your wife completely. And wives, you respect them. You lift them up. You venerate and honor them. That's what submission is. Submission is not you being behind them or in front of them or under them. It's being next to them, lifting them up, being a strength, a helpmate to them. But see, what happens, church, is we come up with our opinion. We come up with what we feel like. We do that, and then we have stopped doing this. And what happens is it creates a problem. And then we wonder, how am I going to fix the problem? Do the Word of God. How do I fix my problems? Do the Word. The reason that you're struggling, the reason that the house keeps shaking and falling is because when the storm comes, listen, the storm's coming. It didn't say if the storm, it said when. And notice, in both lives, the storm was the same. It was probably the same storm. It came with rain, wind, and flooding. It came. It's coming. It always does. That's life. You've, all of you, I, you've lived enough life to know that storms come. And look at we have been equipped to handle the storm. Not just handle it, not just survive it, but to thrive and overcome it. If we will do what God told us to do. The problem is, is we don't want to do what God tells us to do. And then we want to complain about the collapse of our house. Why did this happen to me? You're not doing what he's asked of you. It's not that God's mad. It's like this. Here, here's, here's probably the simplest example. Here, little Johnny leaves his bike outside. And dad comes up and says, Johnny, put your bike away. And Johnny just blows it off and says, ah, the old man don't even know what he's talking about. It's fine out in the yard. I don't understand why the old man has me doing all this stuff. It's on our property. Who cares? Next morning, gets up. The bike is stolen. And Johnny is upset. And what we've done is we've allowed that to be valid. It's like, hey, I'll get you a new bike. (laughs) You say, why are you doing this? Because I want you to live the kind of life God promises in the Bible. I want you to have encounters with him. I want you to speak to him. I want you to know him. I want you to walk in the promises. And I want you to walk in the dimension of the kingdom of God. I want to see your bodies healed, your minds healed. I want to see you delivered. I want to see your families whole. But we cannot do it without the word of God. We cannot do it without living this out. We cannot have a derivative of it. We have to live it out. If you're struggling in here today, God's got lots of grace for you. He's a God of grace and mercy. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. 
And it is true, he's a good God. But he does give us the equipment and the power to do it. It is ours to do. Can you say amen? amen? Bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you, God, that you have given us this instruction. Father, we know that you are not mad at us. You are not disappointed in us. You love us. And that's why you tell us these things. That's why you bring this stuff to our attention so that we would know, so that we could, in fact, walk in the way that you would have for us, that we could enjoy all that you've provided, that we could enjoy all that the blood of Jesus purchased on the cross of Calvary. Father, we thank you so much, God. I love you and I praise you. I wonder today as every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if you're here and you say, you know what, Pastor, I don't know Jesus as my Savior. I'm not right with God, but I would love to give my life to Jesus. If that's you, would you lift up your hand? Lift it up. Say, that's me, Pastor. Amen. I see that hand and that one and that one. You could put them down. Anyone else? Would you lift up the hand, your hand? Praise God. Would you all pray this prayer with me very quickly? And those of you that raised your hand or those of you that are watching online, just pray this prayer out loud. Say, Father, I ask you to come into my life and to forgive me of my sins, to be my Lord and my Savior. I surrender my life and I receive yours in return. And I thank you for salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, if you did, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, if you're here in-house, if you're in person, here in just a few moments, in fact, our ministry team can come now. Our ministry team's gonna be up. If you prayed that, you raised your hand. You prayed that or you didn't raise your hand, but you prayed it. You could come up, talk to any one of these. They will help you. They will give you some information and, and minister to you. If you're online and you prayed that for the first time, please put a comment in the comment section and information on how to contact you. We will help you and we will encourage you. Amen. Praise God. Isn't God good? Why don't we stand to our feet all across this place? If you need prayer for anything of any kind, come on up, let our ministry team minister to you. We're going to release you. Remember, remember Wednesday, next Wednesday, 6.30, we're starting the Bible study on divine healing. You don't want to miss that. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.